welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summeru. Hey everybody, this week I have with me Ranjan Singh. He is a digital executive entrepreneur and private equity investor. He has been innovating and investing in sectors on the cusp of transformation for over 20 years. Prior to forming Health Hero, Ranjan held leadership positions in high growth digital companies and private equity firms. Ranjan was with a European PE firm, Penta Investments, leading their investments in digital health and also digital transformation of their portfolio companies. Before that, he was an entrepreneur and founded Isango.com, an online tours and activities platform acquired by TUI. His entrepreneurial venture followed leadership roles in Expedia and eBookers, and Ranjan's had several non-exec director positions and is an active investor and advisor to startups. He holds a BTEC in engineering from the National Institute of Technology in India, and also an MBA from INSEAD. And what a school that is to do an MBA. So Ranjan, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Health Tech Podcast. What a journey, sir. Looking forward to get into it. How are you doing? Very good, James. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to do it. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today? I'm in uh, North London, Hampstead. Excellent. Excellent. You at home? You're in the office. You guys back in the office yet? Um, I'm at home currently, and uh, we've been sporadically back in the office, but not uh, not like before. But, yeah, uh, I know. Fair enough. That, that, uh, I'm, I'm missing that now. So. Yeah, I'm starting to miss it too, man. We can probably get into it a bit later. But obviously, you've got an incredible journey. And I'm really keen to hear where this started, where the entrepreneurial switch was flicked, and, and how you kind of got into what you're doing now with Health Hero with that background. And I suppose why even Health Hero with that background will be interesting. But where does this all begin for you? Tell us a bit of your story. Right. Um... For sure, it's uh, it's it begins in in India in in a small town in India, and when I say a small town, it's two million people, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> that's, where, that's where it starts from. And classic, um, you know, small town, and it was uh, something that you said resonated with me that uh, what you did in your uh, undergrad degree is not something that you really always wanted to do or were fascinated by and yeah. you, know, you did. Now, I, in the initial years, have been a product of a cookie cutter approach, right? You go through schooling, if you do uh, well, uh, you know, at GCSE levels, you uh, take science, STEM subjects, and then if you do well in that, you go into engineering or, or medical. That is just how it's laid out for you, right? I mean, um, and then the reason is um, that because that's what gets you a job. So it was all, all about employability in the India that I grew up, right? Um, yeah. So I did that. I, uh, I took, took science and, and then uh, I went into engineering and um, I took civil engineering. So I, I learned at the time, uh, you know, uh, all, all sorts of things, building bridges and, and whatnot. Um, but while there, this was the first time that I had an opportunity to pause and think what I wanted to do, right? Yeah. While that was still, um, you know, I was going through the deliberation, one thing became very clear that what I didn't want to do 
uh, is don a yellow helmet and then be at construction sites. I have a huge amount of respect for people uh, who do that and build some fascinating and made the world happen uh, the, the way it is today. But that wasn't for me. Okay. Thankfully, at that time, the Indian economy had opened up. All right, and the opportunities that had started coming in and, and the tech sector was, was booming. So if you were an engineer and you knew how to speak, basically, you were hired for sales and marketing by, by the tech firms. <laughs> nice. uh, um, that, that's where I found myself. Um, I, I joined uh, Hevlet Packard, their uh, joint venture in, in India, uh, in, in sales and marketing roles, right? Um, and and then first uh, couple of years where uh, what we call the sales 101, I mean, printers and computers and cold calling and that kind of real baptism by fire in, in, in business and sales, amazing, amazing experience. Now that coincided with, uh, if you remember, uh, late 90s, the dot-com boom. Mm-hmm. And I found myself then doing e-commerce business development within, within the same, same company. So I switched from, let's say, hardware sales into more solutions and e-commerce selling. And that was, um, I, I found myself at the right time and, and right place. And those were the times when you knew how to say payment gateway properly. You would be <laughs> Sat down as a guru, and and uh, you know TED talks didn't exist at that time, but you'd probably be doing TED talks and stuff, right? So that that's where I uh, found myself, um, and and that was very very exciting. Um, so that's how my career kind of moved in the initial uh, you know four four five years. Geographically, first two years I was I was in India in in Bangalore, where else? Um, <laughs> and then after that. Interestingly, my e-commerce business development um, uh, was centered around Middle East, uh, uh, Middle Eastern countries. Um, so I based myself in Dubai, uh, you know, traveling to 13 or 14 countries, right from you know Cyprus, Turkey, Egypt to the GCC states. Exciting time. So I was in this first role after my engineering uh, for about four years, uh, and then moved moved both company as well as geography. So I came to London back in uh, 2000 with uh, uh, General Electric uh, uh, Company uh, and Equity Investment of GE. Doing similar stuff, doing um, e-commerce solution selling in, in, in Europe, uh, but, uh, but in a different geography, different company. So after about uh, you know five years, I've obviously I decided um, to make a career in, in business, general management uh, area. And uh, then MBA was a very natural natural thing to do. And, and that's where uh, INSEAD came in. Uh, you know, beautiful experience, one year and, and all of that, which was, which was great. So 2001, I went, went to INSEAD. Um, now, that was fascinating, right? Because... Um, I went to INSEAD when world was a very, very different place. Yes. Still the dot-com boom and stuff. When I graduated, which was uh, December 2001, um, the dot-com bubble had burst and September 11th had happened. Wow. Okay. So I was not supposed to be either in internet or 
in travel or let alone be travel, right? And against all odds, I joined internet travel. <laughs> I, that's uh, some bet to put on. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's how things happen, right? Um, I joined Expedia yeah. after Insert. And uh, a fascinating, fascinating journey. Expedia startup at that time um, was formed as part of Microsoft. Not many people know this. It was a division of, of Microsoft. And they, oh, right. I didn't know that. Yeah. So Microsoft had, um, they, they used to come up with those encyclopedias, right? The yeah. Encarta. Uh, <laughs> Encarta, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I'm flashbacks of like CDs and like, oh, man. I know. I know. So how Expedia uh, emerged was fascinating. There was They were building the same Encarta equivalent for travel. So a CD with everything about travel. Amazing. And hotel information and all of that. And by the time the project was complete, a World Wide Web happened. So they decided, nah, chuck the CD, we'll go on internet. And that's how Expedia was formed uh, within, within Microsoft division. Of Very interesting. Um, and, and then they floated it. So I, I joined when it was uh, just hyped off, and but it's still a startup phase. Hyper scale up. I uh, started with being country manager for Netherlands. Don't ask me. Uh, you know, <laughs> Uh, how's your dutch yeah. uh, how's my dutch and uh, you know I, all i can say is i made some uh, dutch classmates from INSEAD quite upset <laughs> <laughs> got to do what they they, they were wanting to do but oh. uh, there you go um and then soon ran um, uh, netherlands and, and italy and, and then a pan-european business unit outside of nice uk uk and germany which was the fastest growing business unit there so look i was hooked on to internet to high growth and uh, right at the verge of that time where you know travel this massive massive industry changed uh, uh, was changed fundamentally due to due to digital and, and internet right at that time there was no word called digital uh, interestingly it was dot com or, or internet anyway so Fascinating. Um, so I had my executive career at, at Expedia and then at eBookers, where I became an uh, MD. eBookers at that time was NASDAQ and then London Listed, going through its own growth phase or growth pains and, uh, and so on. So uh, another, uh, you know, uh, high responsibility, great experience. Um, we exited that company um, shortly after to what was the biggest travel company at that time backed by Blackstone called Sendent. Uh, it was a good exit um, and certainly for the founder and also, also good for, for us to join the party slightly later. Um, and from there on, uh, you know, entrepreneurial bug had uh, bitten me for goods, right? And if you look at the backdrop, what I saw in travel, it doesn't get more powerful than that. They're going through this, you know, fundamental shift. So I saw certainly the first phase of travel was all about flights mm. uh, because it was easy to do, right? There were technology, there were bigger companies to deal with. But what made it easy to do also made it difficult to sustain, right? There were no mm. more supplier power was huge. Second, uh, the battle went to hotels. So what I saw was the next frontier of that um, online travel is going to be tours and activities. So things people do when you get there. And what made hotels very successful was, uh, you know, differentiation 
more than an airline seeds for sure, and, and fragmentation, far more suppliers and far more independence than airlines. Now, those two factors applied order of magnitude higher in tools and activities. Mm. Um, so we decided to aggregate that uh, sector and, and uh, you know, we raised VC fund and that, that was Isango. Isango.com, we uh, raised uh, uh, funding, scaled quickly. Um, we went into 62 countries in the world in terms of supply and destinations lining up. It was really hard to get that whole thing, supply chain working because you're de- dealing with people who provide uh, tools in the rice field in Thailand or, you know, do white water. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere else and stuff. Fascinating, exciting journey. Again, I got my timing spot on in a slightly awkward way that our first full year of trading was 2008. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not much luck with timing so far. In this of my year of graduation from NCAA. <laughs> um and uh, look, uh, we we found ourselves selling a discretionary product in the worst uh, recession in living memory, right? Mm. So every entrepreneurial journey is tough, but this was a different dimension. Yes. <laughs> so when I was going through it, like um, people said that, uh, you know, uh, this is all character building stuff and this is uh, where, uh, you know, you see the best of you and all that. I did not like any of that at all. I just hated it. Really. Yeah. It was tough. But uh, looking back, that was actually true. How much we all, my entire team, me included, had to dig deep into our creative uh, resources and the resilience we had to show and just sheer innovation that we did at that time was incredible. So, you know, the company grew, still 100% CAGR, uh, five years continuous, um, and, and uh, uh, we, uh, we sold to TUI on, on the back of that, the largest travel company in the world um, at, at that time. Um, you know, again, a great, great experience, fantastic uh, service stayed on for, you know, uh, to, to make sure everything is tied up for about one and a half years after that. And then, you know, I felt I've given a lot of my uh, time in life to travel, online travel, and I wanted to do something, something else. And essentially, I wanted to change um, the industry I was working in, but I ended up changing a lot of things. I joined, I joined a private equity firm called Penta Investments. So A, I changed sector from, let's say, corporate to PE. Mm. Um, and, and, and then, uh, you know, uh, in, in, terms of, um, uh, in terms of industry, they were not in travel at all. Um, and, and geography, they were uh, Central Europe focused. So uh, I had to change geography as well. So essentially, that's, that's where the second phase or, or third, let's say, um, of, of my career, career began, where I started in retail, uh, looking at the retail assets of Penta, uh, digital transformation of those assets, and, and building and uh, you know, coming up with innovation incubation platforms there, so on. Second was banking, which, uh, you know, to a lesser degree, um, uh, I looked at that, Penta used to own three banks in total, so that, that gave a very, very good exposure. So, so far, I've had travel, retail, and banking, right? Mm. And, and uh, you know, underlying 
the theme was, you know, digital, the scale of growth transformation. Now, these sectors or industries don't have, at the face of it, anything common with healthcare. Well, the thing that joins these together is actually that these are phenomenal large industries completely transformed by digital. Yes. And that's what I see in healthcare now. So my journey in, in healthcare, digital health, is started seven years back with Penta. Um, 50% of their assets, they had 12 billion uh, euros in all. 50% of that was in healthcare. So they owned hospitals and clinics. Uh, uh, they had health insurance and they had a pretty large pharmacy chain in, in uh, Central Europe. And that's where I was building the fourth pillar for them in digital health and data. So as I said, when I started there, I had this really strong sense of deja vu that <laughs> I've seen the movie and I'm seeing it again with a 15 year time lag in the sense, lots of things happening in, in the sector, a um, lot of innovation, uh, new business models, uh, tons of VC money pouring in, Yeah, but no established business models or no dominant companies yet. Yes. So that was, that was uh, really uh, fascinating. So that's been my journey to uh, digital health. But from there to Health Hero, it happened like after five years of building that platform for Penta and bringing it to its logical conclusion, we successfully built uh, the fifth pillar for them. I had, and I counted it uh, for my tax returns, I'm not that sad otherwise, 100 to 180 flights a year is what I was taking. And not not seeing my kids much. Yeah. Was traveling, my son was two and daughter was uh, five, and when they became, uh, you know, 10, 10 and seven or, or nearing eight, I decided to you know come back to to London, and that's where I founded Health Hero, joined hands with with Mark Hall, uh, which is a private equity firm in uh, in in twenty nineteen, and that was that was the genesis of Health Hero. Very cool. We're going to talk about that in a second. There's there's loads of I could talk to you about here in your background. It's it's interesting and fascinating how you've moved from non-healthcare industries into healthcare and how you talk about that is is interesting. The deja vu, the fact that healthcare is still to be transformed by digital, which it certainly feels that way. And it's felt for a yeah, I perceive it as a long time, but, you know, it's a drop in the ocean, I suppose, in the grand scheme of things. You know, the time that I've been in digital health, probably, what, 10, 11 years, you could argue, from when I was a junior doctor speaking to those tech companies and things and seeing very slowly grinding through the gears in that kind of early phase and a lot of fear, a lot of people not wanting to change, a lot of inertia, I suppose you'd call it, in the system not being set up for change in general, let alone digital transformation, which can be completely radically transforming, I suppose, if, if you are to let it. I think the first thing I want to just ask you about is when you're at the private equity firm, you, you talked about obviously 50% of their assets and you talked were in healthcare and you talked about that kind of a lot of brick and mortar stuff there, a lot of hospitals, a lot of, you know, pharma company, you know, that, that kind of stuff. That PE firm is obviously think looking at this and thinking quite literally, they want a pillar going on in digital health and data, you called it. 
So they obviously think about the future there and they look at it and go, this sector is about to be transformed. You know, there's a significant opportunity for us here. Talk to me about that phrase, digital health and data, and talk to me about how you thought about that in the private equity firm when you were there. I'm just interested because PE, you know, it's at the top, all roads lead to private equity at some point, right? If you keep going upwards and, you know, the VCs can be underneath that and they're the ones throwing money into the tech startups and closer to the ground floor. How is private health, uh, sorry, private health, how is private equity, how was it then looking at the the impending digital health transformation and the opportunity in data? Yeah. Look, um, I think there are very few B firms who do not realize the power of digital today, right? Mm. So, <clears throat> more, zoom, zooming out, how do B firms add value, okay? They add value first through financial intervention, they provide you funding. Yep. Second, it's, you know, call it, uh, you know, strategic. Uh, they help you do, help you do M&As and, uh, you know, uh, frame, frame a strategy and, and work, work with the environment. And sometimes they do operational interventions as well. They, they may change teams, bring in, uh, you know, different uh, skill sets, et cetera. And all of these financial, strategic, and operational were the levers they were pressing to create value. But digital, which is linked to, you know, strategic and and operational, uh, you know, technically, but without being technical about it, digital is something they were not uh, doing largely, right? And then they realized, look, I mean, this is a big, big uh, lever to press here. And we've got to got to look at it because most of the sectors uh, uh, that at least Penta was in, uh, you know, banking, retail, uh, healthcare, media, um, were heavily uh, reliant on on digital or, or transformed by digital, right? And most of the B firms uh, have that I've spoken to. I know, I know a lot of them uh, have built in-house digital capabilities in terms of uh, you know the portfolio teams, operating partners, and so on and so forth. So within um, you know within Penta itself, it was very clear that look. We are serving certain set of uh, customers for pharmacies. Certain set of them are coming to our hospitals and a subset of those are our insurees. But surely, I mean, the only commonality is that Penta is the common owner of these uh, pillars. But surely if we brought together a combined proposition, then some of parts is far more competitive. Yeah, got you. Yeah. So that's what I built. How do these things interact seamlessly together where, uh, you know, we provide a far more compelling uh, and valuable proposition to the end user at the same time adding value to Pentan and the businesses. Yeah, so that, the value compounds. Exactly, exactly. So that's, that's what uh, the key focus was. And the data side of it was, uh, more like you know a real world evidence based play where yep. uh, you know we had tons and tons of data you know, given 35 hospitals and 70 clinics uh, a pharmacy chain of uh, you know two two thousand pharmacies as well as a health insurer with 30 percent market share in the country it was in a lot of rich data and to piece it all together an anonymized or pseudo anonymized basis is very very valuable for pharma companies in, uh, you know, clinical trials or uh, even even the uh, marketing uh, side of it, sales and marketing of, of that side of it. 
So that's that's the concept that, that I built that. Very cool. One of the things you talked about was uh, you mentioned no established business models in digital health. And that that speaks to me because I think we're still here. <laughs> like, yeah. We're still we're still looking for the, the the big load of IPOs. We're still looking for, you know, we're, we're, I think we're still scrambling a little bit in digital health and plenty of people, I'm, I imagine, will now get in touch with me and tell me I'm wrong. But taking a macro view here a bit more, and yes, there are business models that work. But I think I agree with you in terms of established business models in digital health, things that are combining all of these things together and compounding that value. I'm not sure we're there yet. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, um, initially, uh, we have our own narrative of how things evolved in digital health. So we call it, uh, you know, digital health 1.0, 2.0, and currently where we are in is 3.0. So 1.0 was about all excited players, tech entrepreneurs kind of mostly jumping in and saying, oh, wow, this is a big industry going to change with digital. I'm going to do something here, right? All they did in the first phase was, you know, digitize one component of a pathway. So make appointment booking more digital or digital and just put the consultation on video and they said that they're disrupting healthcare, right? I mean, anyone with any knowledge of healthcare knew that that wasn't disrupting and forget that. Saying disrupting healthcare is never a good thing to say anyway. You don't want to disrupt uh, the, the sector. You necessarily can, you can reimagine it, you can you know, reconfigure it a bit, but uh, anyways, that was the first, uh, first wave. And even in that, there were business model issues, you know, because most tech entrepreneurs, not all, there's a big generalization, think simple propositions and think B2C. Mostly they went with video call with the doctor, B2C, right? Didn't work. I mean, uh, one of the companies uh, here uh, in industrial health and you launched a five pound subscription, right? Uh, you know, unlimited calls with GP five pounds back in 2015, 16. You know which one I'm talking about. No takers, no takers. Business model didn't work. Then pivots to this, pivot to that, and uh, you know NHS and insurance and this stuff, and then you find your business model, right? So everyone is going through that. Second wave, some of the uh, you know uh, more quote unquote innovative players came around and said, oh, we'll offer end-to-end holistic service, right? But ultimately, what they were doing was they were digitizing the old rather than inventing the new, right? They took an old pathway. And yes, did an end-to-end digitization, but of an old inefficient pathway that you book an appointment with the doctor, you see the doctor, and then you go from there. Why do you even always need to book an appointment with the doctor? They didn't think, why do we need to do a video call with the doctor? No, it's not needed. Sometimes asynchronous chat is the best. Sometimes a live chat may be the best. Sometimes uh, an automated symptom checker can put your mind to ease. It's not needed, right? And that's where we figured that to build a company of a scale and to have a you know really impactful and successful business model you have to do uh, you know to two or three things first you really have to go at the core of the issues facing healthcare right and not skim the surface and pick the low hanging fruit over here is video with the doctor right so for us if you look at two constituents in healthcare are patients 
and everything else practitioners providers players put together i call it system right so users of the uh, you know users and their system which provides them, right on the patient side of it the core of the issues are experience a really broken shoddy experience you know many a times you and i ignore our uh, health niggles because just it's so bloody hard to get to a doctor maybe you're not your doctor yourself oh no i hear you man i hear you physios are the ones that know far more than i do about what's going wrong with me you might <laughs> sport i'm playing <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know we ignore it it's hard it's hard to get access and you know yep. frustrating experience and on the other hand is outcome is an issue as well if 10 people with similar symptoms went to 10 different practitioners are likely to get two to three different diagnoses right so experience and outcome are issues on the patient side and on the system side there is a long list but if i just focus on the core ones it is capacity there not enough doctors period europe has a shortage of 240000 doctors as things stand today and they're not getting filled with passing year is the other way around two is a cost pressure because people are living longer demanding better healthcare budgets are tight and making the capacity and cost issue even worse is a fixed archaic process right if you have cold and flu book an appointment with the gp go see a gp and take it from there if you're a chronic patient all you need is a prescription still book an appointment with the gp go to the gp take a prescription if you have mental health or something completely unrelated you still have to do the same and something more sinister god forbid is still the same so we felt that we really have to build a proposition which marries experience on the user side and efficiency on the system side yep right the holy grail this marriage of experience and efficiency is what we call healthcare 3.0 and that's what we've set out to build and, and uh, we'd like to believe we're quite quite successful in, in doing that right so that's on the proposition side of it on the business model side of it we, you know we understood healthcare deep enough to know that uh, you know you really have to work with the system rather than against it right to 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 change it otherwise it's a crash and burn scenario and and that's where um, here in uk you know we work with nhs we are one of the leading providers of nhs um we work with uh, insurance companies because that's how healthcare is delivered b2c in uk is not really a market so we don't do b2c yeah right? in france and germany on the other hand you can you you do do b2c people come to you patients come to you consume your uh, services it just happens to be reimbursed by the state yes there we are b2c so we have aligned our business model to the local markets and where uh, you know what suits it and that is where finally um, our execution approach um, is is explained as well it is impossible or or certainly not feasible to change company dna in every market that you enter and that is why we have uh, adopted this mna based approach where you get really focused natives in that market who uh, you know have adapted their business model to the local needs it's in the dna and then we bring the power of the platform to those local players which acts as a force multiplier and you know blows the daylights out of competition uh, you know in in the cases that we've seen so far right and and that's that's how we've set out to build it amazing so 
Health Hero then, obviously a telemedicine platform from what you're talking about, but not just any telemedicine platform. You, you're operating in multiple geographies, pan-Europe, as you've mentioned, a few countries there. You've talked about this M&A approach. I suppose for people that perhaps don't have a background and might not understand what an M&A approach is, how would you explain the difference or differences of Health Hero compared to some telemedicine providers that they already know of? What's different about you guys in terms of product? Yeah. And then what's different in terms of scale and how you're doing it practically? So in terms of what we offer, our proposition itself, um, we combine a holistic and deep expertise in the clinical uh, side of it with cutting-edge tech and digital. And I'll explain uh, more uh, on both of these. So our clinical offering is along three core pillars of day-to-day health, which is GPs and allied specialities. So pediatrician, gynecology, dermatology, etc. So day-to-day health, mental health, and musculoskeletal or physical health. So physiotherapists and stuff like that. So these three form the core pillars of out-of-hospital care. And we're unique in that, that we really have deep expertise in these areas. We then connected to a partner ecosystem where we connect uh, seamlessly to pharmacies and diagnostic centers and also outpatient clinics. So we are able to offer that digital prescription to your pharmacy or meds at your doorsteps. We are able to send home test kits with results delivered digitally, already vetted by a doctor. So really all kind of singing and dancing clinical offering uh, and not in just one silo that I just do GP and then uh, I don't know why, uh, you know, what, what to do if you have a mental health issue. We connect it all nicely together. The digital tools which power and provide that connection are very compelling as well. Um, so we have, let's say, a digital front door of online triage. Now, this is a tool which is an industry leader, best by far in, in the industry, and there is independent peer review published recently, which uh, uh, you, can, you can have a look at head and shoulders above, leading um, symptom checkers like Babylon, ADA, uh, uh, Boy Health, and even NHS 111. Um, so people who use this, 30 to 40% of them don't need to see a doctor and are comforted uh, otherwise, right? So, NHS uses it as demand management tool uh, across the, you know, uh, accessible to 10 to 12 million patients. Um, of those who then need to see a doctor is given uh, or are given a reference uh, or referral mo- uh, monitor, which kind of a specialist to see in the first place, and also an urgency uh, monitor. Um, is it really right now or can you wait for a day or two? And together, this really alleviates the pressure that health systems are in, right? Then we combine that with uh, different modes of communication, not just uh, video or or phone, but asynchronous communication and live chat, uh, which is great for that uh, young mother worried about the rash on her child's back. Why should she get on a phone, a video, and try to point the shaky camera at a crying child, right? I mean, rather take a picture, send it on live chat, get on with your life and and get get your answers uh, uh, as you're getting getting on with what you do. Asynchronous same for uh, people who just need a prescription is issued in less than a minute on average of doctor's time, greatly convenient for the 
uh, patient rather than 10 to 12 minutes that will otherwise take. And by combining these two through an underlying tech platform, which does this orchestration, right? Um, you know, which, uh, what is the user journey or what's the patient journey for what kind of uh, condition uh, is this orchestrated? And that's how we're delivering 3.0. So that's uh, that's the proposition side of it, um, and then how how we are uh, doing on a scale. Um, we are one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, uh, telehealth provider in Europe. This year we do just under three million consultations. Um, we cover in excess of thirty million lives, which is uh, insurance of our insurance companies, employees of our and our direct, uh, direct consumers that we serve. Um, we are, as I said, in four, four countries and you know, we have dominant leadership positions in three of those four countries, UK, Ireland, and, and France, where we operate in, in our sector. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we are um, about 5,000 uh, 5, clinicians in our, in our network that we work with. Awesome. Could you describe to me... Um... Well, first of all, I suppose for people that, that that don't know, what does what does M and A stand for, and I suppose how does that translate into your ability to capture multiple geographies? M and A is uh, sorry, uh, it's mergers and acquisitions. So essentially, in our, our case, it's you know acquiring acquiring other companies. We've uh, acquired uh, six companies in the last one year. Oof, in a year, yeah. busy. It's been, it's been a busy lockdown, lockdown period. <laughs> um, look, I passionately believe that, you know, in a sector like healthcare, where every specialty is different, you really need best and breed expertise in what you do, whether it's yeah. today health, other specialties, or MSK or mental health. And in a market like Europe, where every country is very different in terms of how it's regulated, how healthcare is delivered and consumed. How do you build a company of a scale which is pan-European and do it in a, in a short time with all these nuances? I mean, there's just no other way than to do strategic m and um, I'm not talking about you know, mindless roll-ups or creating uh, you know, chain of care homes or, or dental surgeries. I'm talking about building a digital health platform which is best of breed in, in both ways, best uh, has the local DNA, yeah, as has a, a you know, uh, impacts on a global platform. And just to play devil's advocate here, so, you know, another company might say, oh, we want to move into Finland, so we'll just hire some people who know the ground floor in Finland. What would be your reason for not doing that and the MA strategy? I'll probably know the answer, but. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. Look, it depends on the business model, number one. I mean, we are a healthcare provider. So means we have to go, uh, you know, and get that, uh, you know, comply with regulation, build the clinician network, build a service delivery capability and stuff. And it just organically, A, it just takes time. Yeah. Even if it was feasible, right? But the more important thing is that, to really get into that in-depth understanding of a market and then tweak your platform and your company and, and then everything to cater to that particular market, it's just very, very hard, right? Yeah. 
we, we've got examples in Europe of companies who have spent far more money than we've spent trying to build a pan-European business yeah. in the organic approach. And there is still 90% plus in one country and 90% plus in one channel. Yes. Uh, and then we are completely diversified across our three channels, B2C, B2B, and B2G. We are well diversified across four markets that we are in. Mm. It, this proof has been in the pudding, right? I mean, yeah. that, that I think is the only plausible way to, to build a scale uh, digital telehealth business in Europe. Awesome. I, I think I've really enjoyed this conversation. I, I think you're such you're such an analytical man you're clearly very thoughtful in your approach to things i felt like at times there i was in a you know in a case study at insead you're telling me about the health sector and how it differs and and relates to the travel sector but i think that's really led to an approach that has meant you've been able to scale has meant you've been able to capture those varying very varying geographies and how they approach the health system clearly a kind of blended margin approach where you know a load of people on the platform from a customer patient because you want to call it well, patient side some are going to have take a doctor's time on a video call others are going to be dealt with with a questionnaire and a follow-up plenty of asynchronous communication going on which we all know is the most efficient well say we all you know plenty of us in digital health know that that clearly is a route to more efficient use of time for everybody involved i think there's it's interesting how your personal journey and personal career has has impacted on this as well because i suppose from your time in private equity i would assume that you know you well your pe backed as well which alludes itself to this more MA strategy allowing you to scale quickly across europe and capture multiple geographies but clearly, this all of this is housed in a product that speaks to people. It's a product that clearly can cope with varying different ailments, patients, things going on. It's a it's an adaptable platform. You know, on your website, you've got the digital front door thing you talked about. You've got GP, you've got mental health, you've got there's all these different things that it's as we you know going full circle a little bit here it's difficult to find a business model in healthcare because I think it's difficult to find one in digital health anyway, because it's difficult to solve a problem end to end. And you alluded to it because the people that go after appointment booking and, and this communication channel here between patient and clinician and this digital therapy and this, and as you say, there's, there's people trying to pick off what, what is looking like low hanging fruit, which by all means makes a huge difference to those people. Definitely. But I think, Putting all of this together, it seems that you've got a story here that is trying to make change at a large scale. It's trying to find that digital front, that one digital front door for people across Europe that when they have a problem in with their health, they get access to the care they need. And ultimately, that seems to be the problem that you guys are solving and are doing very well. And all those things go into it which uh, honestly has been a really enjoyable, really enjoyable lesson and, and conversation for me to be involved in. Um, but Ranjan, we've run out of time, unfortunately, but thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. For people that want to learn more about Health Hero or want to learn more about you or perhaps get in touch with you or the company, what's the best way for them to find out more? 
I mean, they can write uh, write to me, Ranjan at healthhero.com or uh, info at healthhero.com, and then that'll that'll reach me. Um, no, no problem. Look, uh, James, I've I've really enjoyed the conversation. When you said uh, we're going to chat for uh, 50 minutes, I, uh, you know, I thought, how are we going to fill the time? <laughs> time, time has flown. It's, it's been really enjoyable. I've uh, loved telling this story. And uh, yeah, I hope we chat soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ranjan. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.